we're going to look over the next few weeks, as I mentioned to you uh, last week and then this morning, at just basically some nuts and bolts, real simple stuff, hopefully, to, to help us in our a mandate, really, our endeavors to, to share our faith, to tell people about Jesus, however it is that you like to describe it, to evangelize uh, people that you come in contact with. I want you to understand up front, I'm not the expert. I didn't write all this stuff. Uh, I don't have a degree in personal evangelism, uh, nor uh, does really anyone have a, a, a corner on this particular market. It's something that you've probably tried, you've probably succeeded at, you've probably failed at, you've probably been really encouraged by it. You've probably been frustrated by it. You've probably looked for opportunities and found them and looked for opportunities and ignored them and looked for opportunities and then not found them. And so I just uh, my goal here is to give us some tools in our hands, some information that we can go on, sort of to set us uh, on a course, maybe to inspire us, encourage us, uh, maybe to, uh, you know, in my own life sometimes to kind of give us a, a sort of a, a gentle nudge and maybe a kick every once in a while toward where we ought to be and where we need to be. And so what I've done is just with the limited resources I have, and you could go to any particular Christian bookstore or look online and you could find hundreds of suggested resources on things just like this. And so uh, I, I took what I had and sort of compiled that into some basic information that we'll look at as an introduction tonight, and then over the next few weeks, begin to break some of those things down. And so if you think, well, okay, I walked away tonight and I don't have everything I need to know, that's exactly the way that it's going to be. You won't have everything you need to know. So so if you if you need a reason to come back next week, there it is. You'll, you won't have everything you need to know. All right, how's that for marketing? We're not going to give you everything tonight. Come back next week. Okay, so also if you've got some folks that, Maybe uh, you know in a, one of maybe your Sunday school class or somebody you sit next to in the in the worship service on Sunday mornings. You know, encourage them to come. I know a lot of times on Sunday nights, folks have other things that are going on. I understand that, respect that. I know how that is. So, but at the same time, I hope that something like this will be some uh, maybe a direction we can all start to to move in. All that said, as we get to certain things, if it brings up something that you say, you know what, I, I sort of have an illustration for that. I, I was in a conversation once and so on. Let's agree that, that we will be interactive, but that when we are, we'll be as to the point and, and, and brief so that everybody has the opportunities we can. That makes sense? So don't be scared in any way to share something. I'd love for you to, to communicate and to interact, because if not, you're just going to have to listen to me all night long, and you've already done that this morning. And I know some of you pretended like you were praying the whole time, and I really appreciate that. just want you to know, those of you that pray during the entire service on Sunday mornings, I'm inspired by that. I see you and kind of... And some of you, you know, are real comfortable, and you, you know. But anyway, I, I, uh, I hope that you'll interact. All right, let's let's look at this. You'll see uh, on page what's labeled page one um, that basically what we're looking at is the what, the why, the who, and the how, so to speak, of of personal evangelism. The scripture obviously gives us some some foundation and some instruction as we approach this subject. First Timothy one fifteen. Paul writes this, and he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So here it is. Pay attention. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he follows it up with, Of whom I am the worst. Paul, knowing his own sinful nature, but he says plainly, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. He didn't come just to teach us some parables. He didn't come to be a nice guy. He didn't come so he could go down in history as sort of a controversial but well-liked figure. He came to save sinners. In Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So Jesus, of course, we many of us know this, toward the end of his time here on earth, sent his disciples out and said, This is what you are to be doing. You are to be going out with the purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus and live a lifetime in service of him. And then Acts chapter 1 Verse 8, Jesus, right before he ascends, tells his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There are lots more scriptures about this particular subject. These just so happen to maybe be a few that we can use as a foundation. As I get to some different fill-in-the-blanks, and I try not to give a ton, 
but if I get to one and, and, and you say, hold on a second, I didn't get that, please just raise your hand um, and, and I'll repeat it. Uh, I have no problem doing that. I'll make sure to let you know uh, what it is that, uh, that we got to. All right, so uh, here are some facts, and, and this particular terminology using the word unchurched comes from a guy named Tom Rayner, who happens to be uh, currently the president of Lifeway Resources. You may or may not uh, know of him. Uh, his son, actually, Sam, will, I believe it's in October, will take over as the pastor of First Baptist here in Murray. And so uh, Tom Rayner uh, wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. And in his research, he did a nationwide study, and here are some of the things that he found. If you, if you look there on page one, so some of the things that we know, some facts about the unchurched and unbelievers. Unchurched, and this is what Tom Rader describes as people who attend five times or less per year. You probably know people like that. Um, that they'll come on certain occasions and may come, uh, you know, like this morning. We have uh, Miss Lorene uh, Underhill's family here. There may be folks in her family that came specifically because it was a, a, a way to honor her, but they may not go any other time. You may have family members like that. You invited them to come for a special occasion, Mother's Day, Father's Day, something, Christmas, Easter, those kinds of things. We certainly know those. So, so unchurched. Um, and and let, me, let me preface this with, with this. Um, this when, we, when we say somebody is unchurched, I, I, I want you to know that does not necessarily mean, of course, uh, that they don't know Jesus. Simply because a person does not go to church is not solid proof one way or the other that they do or do not know Jesus. But we can't, uh, folks who are here, we can't attest to the fact that they do or don't. Does that make sense? If somebody were to come and ask me, what do you know about this person? Do you believe they're a Christian? I said, well, I have no idea. I've never seen them. I don't know anything about them. So we can't attest to that. So by default, Tom Rainer sort of assumes that many of these people are not. I just kind of give you his his. On that one. They exist in different faith stages. Uh, and so you, the you there in each one of these, as you'll see, is for unchurched. He lists them in five different levels according to his research. A U5 is highly resistant to the gospel, and they have an antagonistic attitude. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do a little bit of guessing here, just, just for a second or two, as we move through this. <clears throat> I have the numbers in front of me, okay? So there is a right and wrong answer, unfortunately. Uh, that's the way it is. Based upon maybe your experience or what you think about the world or whatever it may be, what percentage out of 100 would you say is uh, the U5 highly resistant to the gospel, antagonistic, meaning basically you try to talk to them about church or Jesus, and they will flat throw it back in your face and are rude about it, don't want to hear it, you know, and start talking about all those Christians and church people and all this and this and that. What do you think? What's the percentage? Anybody got a guess? We said two, seven in the back. Brent, is that what you said? Five, maybe 15, 10, 20. It's like the auction last, last, last Sunday night. Let's, let's get it up there. Here we go. The actual percentage that Tom Rader uh, discovered was 5%. 5% are antagonistic in their attitude and, and highly resistant to the gospel. 5%. Some of us, based upon our experience, might say, well, I don't think it's quite that high, or I think it's a little bit higher than that, but he found 5%. U4 is resistant to the gospel, but not antagonistic. They don't want anything to do with it, but they're not going to be a jerk about it, if that makes sense. They're not going to throw it back in your face. They're not going to try to be combative towards you. They may shut the door in your face, but they don't slam it, all right? And so, so what would you say is sort of the next level down, this resistance but not antagonistic? Anybody got a guess on that? 15? 10 in the back. What if you don't have 15? What? 20. Anybody? 9. There you go. Some nice random numbers. That's right. The actual percentage he found was 21%. So, so 1 out of 5. 21%. So you can see that, that sort of highly resistant and antagonistic, and then resistant but not antagonistic, about 26% or so. You three... No apparent receptivity. They're neutral. They're perhaps open discussion. They're just sort of in the middle. Eh, talk about it. Don't talk about it. You're not going to offend them if you talk about it. They don't care if you don't. Eh, kind of whatever. You may know people like that. You may work with them. You may used to work with them. They may be in your family. They may be friends, neighbors, whatever. What do you think? What's the percentage? 32, 27, 50. Anybody else? 43, 19. 
The actual percentage, you guys are good. The actual percentage is 36%. Are, are just relatively neutral. Eh, either way, take it or leave it. A U2, not the band, a U2 is receptive to the gospel and to the church, meaning they kind of like to hear some more about it. They're, they may or may not seek you out, but when you talk with them, yeah, they're kind of interested. I'd like to know more about that. They they may be those types of folks. What do you think? Anybody got a guess on this one? 50? 33? 28? 25? 21? The actual retail price, no, is the actual percentage is 27%. 27% are, are receptive. They're, they're interested in it. They, they'd like to know more if you bring it up. They may be open to coming to church or having a spiritual conversation with you directly about Jesus, not just about abstract thoughts. And so for those of you doing the math, that leaves, I knew there were people that were doing it. I'm going to get this one right. I got this one. You just watch. I'm going to get it first. And and so highly receptive to the gospel, 11%. Now bear in mind that we're not talking here about people who are already in church. These people are not in church. So you have 36% that are eh, sort of neutral. They'll listen to you, but you know they're not really worried about it either way. They're not going to be offended. They're not going to be uh, throwing it back in your face. 27% are receptive. They're, they're very interested. 11% are highly receptive. That means if you have a conversation with them about Jesus, the overwhelming majority of those 11% are going to say, yes, that's what I want in my life. And so we would think sometimes maybe it's flipped around, maybe that, that a lot more are antagonistic. But what Tom Rainer and his group found was not the case. And so look at the next one there. According to Tom Rainer, there are over 17 million, these are based on his percentages here, 17 million people who will accept Christ if presented with the gospel. That's the 11%. And that's in our country alone, 17 million. So you take, let's say you take the population of Calvary County, which is, give or take, what, about 30,000 people, somewhere around that? And so you figure that 11% of those, so a little bit over 3,000 in Calvary County right now, are, are, are willing or will accept Christ if they're presented the gospel. 11%, and that's, that's nationwide. Another 43 million, the 27% are close. So think about it in Callaway County. It was 27 plus 11. Is that 38? Nearly 40% of Callaway County's unchurched people, let's say however many that is, are sort of waiting, waiting to hear. Some surprises that they found, and, and they, they were not looking for these. They just came across these in their research, again, from his book called The Unchurched Next Door. Most of the unchurched prefer to attend church on Sunday morning. Uh, that's their preference. They prefer to attend, attend church on Sunday morning if they attend. Uh, interestingly, uh, you may know of churches or, or movements or whatever it may be that, that think that you have to offer something at a different time. Well, we're, we don't do church on Sunday morning. We do it on Tuesday night. That may work, but that's not necessarily what the unchurched people would say that they want. Typically in America, since it's been this way historically, people just think, well, if I'm going to go to church, I'll probably go on Sunday morning. And so... We're, we have a service on Sunday morning, and so we're in good shape. So females, interestingly enough, are likely to either be the most antagonistic, and all the guys said amen, or the most receptive to the gospel, and all the women said, I told you. And so females, interesting, they're on one scale, one side of the scale or the other. And uh, I, I, will, I will not get into that at all. All this is being recorded, and so this can be held against me, and so I will not say anything, and fellas, I would encourage you, just keep your mouth shut as well. And so, let's move on to the next one. Most of the unchurched, interestingly enough, feel guilty about not attending church. That's interesting. I I don't know if you have talked with anybody. Anybody have a conversation with somebody that you tried to invite to church, and this was the experience? Anybody, I I won't make you share the story unless you want to. Has anybody come across this uh, in any way? Yes, you have. Any, anybody else? That, uh, that was one of those things that I, I was a little bit surprised by. And um, you know, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But most of the unchurched people feel sort of guilty. Well, yeah, I know I ought to be there. Or, well, maybe that would be something good to do. In some way, some degree of, of guilt. Interesting. 82%. This, is, this, is, this blows me away. 82% of the unchurched, that's U1 through U5, 
are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. That blew me away. 82% of those people. You, you would think that only the 27% or the 11%, you know, somewhere in there that would be the case. Maybe up to 40%. Okay. 82%. So, yeah, yeah, I might go. Sir? Potentially. And, and that may be the case as well. Jimmy brings up a good point. A lot of times folks will tell you they'll come, and then they never will. And, and I don't know from their research if they actually followed up on the people who actually did go, but what they indicated in their response in their survey was, yeah, be somewhat likely, or, you know, I may go. Uh, and, that, and that is a good point to kind of counter that, give some balance to it. Very few of the unchurched have had someone share with them how to become a Christian. Very few. Uh, and Christians, uh, what they found, have not been particularly influential in their lives. Uh, interestingly enough, most of the unchurched have a positive view a positive view about pastors, ministers, and the church. Think about, just for a second, the folks that you know, maybe where you work or in your family or friends or whatever you may have, that don't go to church anymore. Just kind of get those those people in your mind, maybe those faces of a family member or a co-worker or a relative or whatever it may be. Would you say, would you say that that last one there we just read is true, kind of true, what do you think? Do most people that you know that don't go to church, they have a positive view about pastor, minister, church in general? What, what do you say? Anybody? Maybe say that that's been my experience most of the time. And, and just granted, just right here, most of the time they're, they're pretty cool with that. Everybody's fine with that, right? Now, yeah, interestingly enough, yeah, the first person that gets called is the church. A lot of times the pastor when somebody passes away or, or whatever, still in today's world, most people get married in the church, and so, you know, they, they, they call. Um, does anybody, now, please don't share names on this, but does anybody know somebody who's unchurched? They have a very negative view of pastors or the church. Anybody, anybody know some folks like that? Probably so. I would venture to say that many of those folks probably have a very, very difficult experience somewhere along the road. Somebody did something to them that they probably shouldn't have done. And, um, you know, I think we all are kind of bent toward that way. So the next one, this was interesting. Some types of cold calls are effective. Many are not. A cold call simply means um, basically an unsolicited um, approach. Uh, If you've ever been in a business where you've had to do cold calling, you're just calling random numbers and saying, hey, would you like to buy this? Uh, would you be interested in, in this sort of service? So cold call is basically a, a sort of a, a direct mailer to the home. I didn't ask for it, but here it is, something along those lines. Interestingly enough, that what Tom Rader found was that the type of cold call that's most often resisted is an uninvited visit to their homes, an uninvited visit to their homes. Now, for some of you that have grown up, uh, in church, you would say, well, good grief, that's just kind of, that's the way that I got to come to church, was somebody showed up to my house, and they said, hey, would you like to come to church? And so it, this can be sort of either a, for lack of better terms, a religious gap, potentially a generation gap, as things have sort of progressed or changed over time. And so some of you may be surprised by that. Others may say, well, yeah, I, at least somebody came showed up at my house one time, and that's the last thing I wanted was somebody beating on my door at supper time, trying to come in and talk to me about their church or organization or whatever. So, but that's what they found was unchurched people. Uh, now, now, I will tell you that the caveat to this is that many of them were fine with an invited visit. If, if they knew somebody was coming, yeah, no problem. Come on in. Interesting that they didn't respond or responded negatively uh, to the uninvited visit. Just sort of the way things are. Sir, yes. Mm-hmm. Really? Even folks that have visited the church. I'll repeat that for the folks maybe behind you. Ronnie said that at his previous church at Westside, they... Ronnie was involved in, in some leadership on the outreach and set up an appointment uh, with everybody who visited the church. And overwhelmingly, nobody wanted to visit in the home. They would all meet at a neutral location. You know, in today's world, like it or not, good, bad, or otherwise, we're probably going to find that to be true. But we've lost the trust factor a lot of times. Not we as Christians or we as a church, just we as Americans. We don't trust one another. Uh, and probably to an extent for good reason, um, but at the same time, that's... 
Uh, that's interesting. Any other any other comments on that? I, that again, that's just what they found. I don't don't read any agenda into what I'm what I'm saying. But the unchurched, interestingly enough, though, the next one, they would like to develop a real and sincere relationship with a Christian. They see value in that. Maybe because of the way the person lives, who's a Christian, they see some stability, some encouragement. They they, they see something in them, and they're drawn to that in some way. The attitudes of the unchurched are not correlated to where they live, their ethnic or racial background, or their gender. That just simply means it's just human. It's not particularly any certain area of the country. Uh, it's not any male or female. It's not uh, black, white, anything in between. It's nothing like that. It's just simply this is the way they found it across the board. And so even though you may say, well, well, you know, yeah, but this is Calvary County. This is West Kentucky. This is, this is the, you know, almost southeast United States. It's got to be different here. What they found was mm, not different. So these things, they say, are pretty standard for, for wherever you live. Uh, and, 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 and we should not be surprised here by this uh, because the Bible speaks to it. The higher an, an individual's, and that's misspelled, the higher an individual's income, the more resistant to the gospel he or she is likely to be. You probably are aware of the Bible verse that says, Jesus himself, it's more difficult for a rich man to, to go through, or for a person to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to, or a camel rather, go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That just, that's what they found. It was confirmed. And so in his book, he says, well, that's, that's not shocking. Uh, it, that's, that's simply the way it is. Uh, many of the unchurched are far more concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children than, the, than of themselves. They're more concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children than of themselves. You know anybody like that? Anybody? Yeah. Hey. Sure. Yeah. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, so feel free to opt out. Did anybody sort of grow up in a, in a home where you were dropped off at church? Parents' home was important for you to go, but eh, they weren't that interested. A few folks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in the past, maybe, maybe that was how you even maybe got involved in church and you stuck because of that. Or I would venture to say there are probably folks here, or maybe not here tonight, but in our church, who at one point you were more concerned about the spiritual development of your children, and then you sort of kind of got in there as well, and it, you know, we kind of see some nods in the back. It kind of became, yeah, this is what I need too. You know, maybe we have some folks that are like that. Here are some general facts. About evangelism, we're going to get the guess again. You ready? All right, yeah. All right, here we go. There is a certain percentage of active churchgoers who invite anyone at all to church in the course of a year. What, what do you think? What percentage? 40? 20? 35? 15? 10? 1? 2 percent. The actual percentage of people who, who are active churchgoers who invite anyone to church in the course of a year is 21 percent. 21% of active churchgoers. So I, I would consider us tonight here active churchgoers. 21, that means, look around, that means 21% of us, over the course of the year, invite anyone to church. I don't know who that 21% is, but keep going. Keep going, lead us. Percentage of church members that invite an unchurched person. Two, five, is it already in there? That figures, but no, I didn't leave it out. Two percent, you guys are good. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, man, did he read that book? Good grief. Two percent, isn't that, isn't that interesting? That, that one out of five invite somebody, but only two percent invite an unchurched person. Interesting. How much, uh, did I leave this one blank? This next one, good. All right. Now, now, see, I've got them filled in here. I don't have the copy you have. The percentage of new believers that come to Christ through a friend or acquaintance who explains the good news on a one-on-one basis. What do you think? 50%? 7? 75? 63? Okay, this one sort of is a range here. It's 75 to 90. 75 to 90% of new believers come to Christ through a friend or acquaintance who explains the good news on a one-to-one basis. 
that was that was that was surprising to me. Is it, maybe you are so. Speak to that if you'd like. Does that surprise you in any way? And if it does, why? Or if it doesn't, tell, tell me why. What, what are you What are you thinking? Yeah, maybe more likely to listen to somebody you know. Sure. Yeah. Anybody else? things that uh, that they found, and I didn't, didn't include this because it wasn't really a statistic, but the general observation is true, that the longer a person is a Christian, the fewer non-Christian people they're around. Certainly that's the case the longer you're a Christian and or the older you get. It's just the way that it is. It's, it's it, maybe not the way it should be, but it's the way that it is. Uh, I'll just say that. I know from my own life, that's the way my life is. Uh, believe it or not, I have to work really, 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 really hard to see non-Christian people on a regular basis. You may say, well, you're a pastor. All you do is read the Bible and go talk about Jesus on the street corner. Eh, not quite. I, I'm around mostly Christian people. And so it's I, I, what Diana's saying is true, that when you're first becoming a Christian, you have all those non-Christian friends. You may be, be witnessing to them, and, and as a result, that, that percentage then reflects to be true. But you know, it's interesting that, that 75 to 90% of people don't come to, to know the Lord through a church service. Uh, that, that's, that's interesting. The next one then speaks to that. Only 17% of all conversions, and that's why it's sort of a range in the first one, come through an event. For example, something like a sermon or a crusade or, or a, a youth night of some sort of friend day or anything like that. Only 17% of all conversions come through some sort of event. And that can either be really encouraging for us or really discouraging. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, as a, as a pastor, I think, well, um, I don't know how I feel about that, that through sermons, only 17% of conversions typically happen through something like that. But it is the way it is. I mentioned this, I believe it was uh, last Sunday morning, I think, that non-believers, uh, this, was, this was from a, uh, a different uh, resource called Share Jesus Without Fear, Non-believers must hear the gospel an average of 7.6 times before they receive it. 7.6 times. See, there you go. Absolutely. You got one. Anybody want to join through? Listen, there we go. <laughs> that certainly is not a guarantee that if, if we approach somebody 7.6 times, that means that the last person is sort of halfway then, then uh, automatically, that's just what, on average, it, it seems to take. And that's based upon not only the presentation of the gospel, but, but sort of uh, just humans and, and psychology and all that kind of stuff all mixed together. That's, that's what that came from. Uh, Tom and Sam Rayner, in, in their book called Essential Church, list a couple of things that, that pertain to what we're talking about. List the loss of evangelistic passion and few outwardly focused ministries as two of the seven sins of dying churches. And that's, that's interesting. Loss of evangelistic passion, not, not necessarily evangelistic programs, but evangelistic passion, which goes deeper, and few outwardly focused ministries, meaning that, that over time those churches that they've identified as dying have sort of turned everything inward. And, and certainly that... That, that's valuable ministry, and that's not what they're saying, but that, that when it's all turned inward, or very few things are, are turned outward, that is one of what they identify as one of the seven sins of, of dying churches. On the next page, here's where we're going over the next few weeks. Um, basically looking at, at just a few things, and we'll, we'll break these down later on. I'm just going to sort of roll through them, but certainly welcome any uh, comments or, or, or uh, stories or anything like that as we move through this. Who should do evangelism? The Bible is very clear that every Christian, every Christian should do evangelism. Which then means, and this is what every resource that I've read says, not just the pastor or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or the church leaders or the person on the outreach team or whatever it may be, not just those people, but every Christian should do evangelism. And there are several scriptures, and I've listed those if you'd like to go look. Not only the Great Commission, but then examples of the disciples after Jesus was gone, going and doing evangelism. So every Christian. Now, now answer me this. Tell me what you have found in your 
church experience, be it here or elsewhere. What do you think it is that, well, let me, let me phrase it this way. Do you think that either here or elsewhere, just Christians in general, understand that it is every Christian that is called to do evangelism? Anybody have anything to, to say to speak to that? Yes, no, not sure. Do you think that that's what the understanding is? Or do many people sort of wait for someone else or assume that somebody else is going to do that? What, what, do, you, what do you think? Okay. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. And, and 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 one of the things that we'll get to in one of the resources that I found is a good point is that a lot of it is is using your personality and your giftings and who you are created to be to then sort of in your own style, so to speak. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that, that is, there's a good mix of that. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah, a lot of folks maybe understand that's what I'm supposed to do, but mm, <laughs> I don't know, that sort of thing. Sure. Yes, ma'am. to be, your own context, your friends, family, neighborhood, your, your job, wherever that is. And it's interesting in the Bible that one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit talks about is the gift of evangelism. But that, that can also be used a lot of times as an excuse. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Therefore, it must mean that I'm not called to be doing evangelism whatsoever. The truth is, though, that the universal command that Jesus gave in the Great Commission was not just for those who one day might discover through some spiritual gifts inventory that they have the gift of evangelism. Oh, well, now it's my turn. Now here's I've found my role. All of us are to do evangelism. Some are called out specifically to be evangelists, if that makes sense. I hope you see the difference. There are some, just like the sermon that Peter gave in Acts chapter 2, that was, he was at that moment obviously blessed with the gift of evangelism. 3,000 people harvested all at one time. That did not excuse the other disciples from also doing evangelism. I, I hope we can see the distinction. I don't want to cloud the waters. I think many of us probably understand that. That's probably how that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, what you're talking about is the way that we go about that, our personal style, then our context may shape sort of some of what we do. Any, anything else on that before we move forward? Sure. Yeah, a, a lack of knowledge obviously holds us back in a lot of areas. Certainly. Yeah. I, I know you've been there. I tell you what, I run into questions. Being the pastor of the church, I, I get all sorts of random questions. And, and most of them are not these challenging, you know, try to put you on the spot questions. They're just sort of, hey, I was wondering about what the Bible said about this. I have no idea. I just I don't know. Um, you know, and so, I, again, I, I'm sort of on the journey with you. Understand that. I, I, you know, the Lord has... has put me here, but here we go all together. And so I, I realize more and more my own shortcomings in that area. And, I, and I'm really challenged more to to digest more of the scriptures. Sort of what we talked about this morning, just to, to learn it, to learn it as best I can. And, and you know, I, I might, maybe you're this way, I'm a, we'll get to more of this, I'm a perfectionist. And and if there is something that I don't know completely, it just drives me nuts. To the point where, now this is where my perfectionism costs me, and I'll either get angry or I'll quit. One of the two. You, you're there, with, I don't know if anybody's there with me. I either get really mad at maybe whatever it is I'm trying to learn, because, well, that's just dumb. Anyway, I, don't need to look, I don't need to know that. Or mad at myself, can I just learn this, you know? Or I just say, well, forget it. I can't do all that to begin with, you know, because I, I feel like a lot of times as a pastor, and I, and I think I'm becoming to, to see this more just as a Christian, how much I really need to know for today's world. Thinking is much different. I won't bore you with a, with a long history lesson, but before the Enlightenment, back in the late 1700s, the period from basically from the time that Jesus was on earth up until that point was known as the pre-modern era. Where generally everybody sort of went to the Bible to say, well, that's just true. 
What should we think? Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's find out what it has to say. Let's listen to what the church has to say. So up until that point, then we began to, to talk about human reason. The focus became on us. Now, that was the modern era. Now we live in the postmodern era where we determine what truth is. Well, good grief, that changes from person to person. I may talk to Eddie Clyde, and he says one thing about God and truth. And I, then I go over here to Don, and he's got some other completely different idea about this. Well, I, I seem to think it's this. Well, you know, this seems right to me. And it can seem like sometimes, I don't know if you found this, I don't, I don't know anything to say to anybody these days. It doesn't seem like anybody thinks the same way. They all sort of make it up as they go along. I sometimes get overwhelmed by what I don't know. And, and that's just maybe if you're there and you just say, okay, good, at least I'm not alone. We're there together. I sometimes get very overwhelmed at, at how to approach those people who have different ideas and different ways of looking at life and thinking about God and so on. So the idea basically is that every Christian should do evangelism. It's not up to the people in the church to wait for the pastor, the staff, the deacons, whoever to do it. It's not up to the pastor, staff, and the deacons to wait for everybody else to do it. We all are in there together. Whom are we evangelizing? Basically two groups, people we know and people we don't know. That's about it. People we know, our friends, our coworkers, our family, our neighbors, children, unchurched people that we know, and then people that we don't know. The question here, which one's more difficult, do you think? Okay. People we how many of you say people that we know? That's the golly, that's the hardest one. Anybody? How many of you say somebody I don't know, golly, I'm just that's Odd and kind of weird for me. What what, what makes it the, the majority of us in here indicated anyway that it's people we know? Why? What's that? They know you too. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But what else? What makes that difficult with people you know? It's true. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 It might get repeated. Yeah. Yeah. On the road. There you go. That's right. Yeah, it, it is. That's, I, I've told people before, I, I find it just in what I do, I find it more intimidating to speak to a group of 10 than I would 10,000. Because I can't see their faces when they're 10,000. I'm just talking to sort of out there. No big deal, you know. But boy, I tell you, when you can, when you know them, they know you, and you're not just going to kind of say it and be gone, that, that's different, you know. Anybody else? But the people you work with, you run into to issue there, or maybe you did when you were working, maybe you've retired since then. I, I don't know. What, what, um, what do you think? If you're living it, it makes it a little bit easier. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you can get yourself in trouble, certainly. Certainly. You know, it's interesting, um, you know, you bring that point up. One of the things that I came across in just reading about all this was that one guy, and, and we'll get to more of this uh, in a few weeks, but he suggested that when you're wanting to talk about the Lord with your coworkers, to, to do your best to arrange to meet them, maybe at lunch or, you know, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee after work or something along those lines, because he was very aware in, in today's society that that can be, whether we like it or not, it can be a very big issue. That's not a bailout, according to what this guy was saying. It's just it is an issue. Work around it. Do what you got to do to make something different happen. Why should we evangelize? First of all, obviously, we're commanded to do so. We've seen that in the Scripture. Uh, out of our love for God, certainly the people that you love, you enjoy talking about them and seeing them be made to look better, and you sort of take a back seat to them, and their agenda kind of goes in front of yours. And so out of our love for God, because people need Jesus. And the, the next one there, two people matter to God, and, and hell is real. It's, um, we'll, we'll get to why we don't here in just a second, but I think we, we run risk when we forget 
people really do need Jesus and that hell is real. And so it, it's a, a good reminder for us. Yes, ma'am. Sure. It's true. Right. Right. It is. It is. The unseen world is difficult to connect with a lot of times simply because it's unseen. You know, and, and the future of heaven or of hell, is, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep that in the front of your mind. And, and I, believe, I believe that the spiritual battle we find ourselves in, that Satan wants to keep us blinded to all that stuff. Certainly. I, if he can keep us ignoring the fact that people need Jesus and that hell is real, well, then he keeps us from evangelizing. And so, yeah, that, that is, that's, that's true. Uh, everyone dies and will face judgment. The Bible is clear about that. How can they believe if they do not hear? Paul wrote about that. They, people need to hear in order to believe. Uh, there are those who would say that, well, I can look at a tree and I can, I can somehow deduce from the shape of the leaves and the, the, the width of the trunk that there's a God and that his name was given in the Old Testament as Yahweh. And because... He thought that people needed a way to get to him. He sent his son Jesus to die on a tree. And there's no way you can deduce all that from looking at a tree. People have to hear the gospel. They have to hear it. And certainly we can see God in everything. No question about that. There is general revelation is what it's called. God has revealed himself generally, but we have the specific revelation in the New Testament, the Old Testament, that we have to pass on to other people. And so they, they have to believe, to hear if they're going to believe. Uh, another one is, why shouldn't we? Because you can't fail. You cannot fail. We'll get to that here in just a minute. You cannot fail if you evangelize, because the only sin really in evangelism is the next one, is silence. Silence is sin. Why should we evangelize? Because silence is sin. Since we are commanded to do so, if we do not, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And we have sinned. It promotes unity in the church. Uh, this is one of those intangible things that I'm not sure we could ever put our finger on and say, this is what's rallying us together. But I'm telling you, if we all will get behind not some program that I come in and try to implement, but the cause of evangelizing the lost people in our worlds, you talk about unity, you talk about a single focus and purpose, we're going to be on it. And I believe God will bless that. Because most people, as we've seen, Come to Jesus through personal evangelism, and then finally, because it is worth giving your life to, and you're going to give your life to something. However much life you have left, if it's all ahead of you, if you're looking sort of at, at the sun setting, wherever you may be, you still have some life left that you're going to give to something. Why don't we evangelize? Let me run through this list, and then maybe you can throw a couple more on there, and we'll wrap up in just a second. One is fear. We are scared to death sometimes, and we may not even know why. But I just get sweaty palms, and my heart starts racing. I'm sweating everywhere, and I don't know what to do. I'm scared to death. Another is ignorance. We just don't know how. I think Brent mentioned that earlier. Maybe we know we should, but I don't even know where to start. What am I supposed to do? Ignorance, possibly, as Ronnie mentioned, because we don't know the Bible. And there's another of apathy. We just simply don't care. We just don't care. It's not on my mind. May not be a sinister not caring, you're just not thinking about it. Frustration. Maybe you tried in the past and you just you just didn't see the results you were looking for. You got frustrated. So well, that didn't work. Or maybe you've been a part of, of sort of a movement in a church before. We're all gonna do this, and well, nothing really happened. The wrong view of what evangelism is. We'll get to that in just a second. Hopelessness. Maybe you just feel like this world is beyond help. You don't know my family members. You have no idea how many times they've rejected what I've tried to tell them. You're just hopeless. You just think it's not going to change. Pride. And this kind of goes with fear. A lot of times the, the, the driver of our fear is pride. Uh, we, we fear looking bad because we're too proud to look bad. That makes sense. We, 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 we let our fear and our pride drive us. Busyness. Today's world, that's easy to do. We just don't make the time to do it. We don't carve out the time to have relationships, which leads to the other, a lack of involvement with unbelievers. We could probably go around the room, but we won't, and count the number of regular time, regular friends, so to speak. We have their unbelievers. Many of us could count on one hand. 
I'm saying that to myself as well. Like I said, it's difficult. I have to I have to be very intentional about it. And then excuses concerning unbelievers, things like, well, I don't want to hear that anyway. You know, I, they're, they're, well, there's so many people, they just, they, you don't know, they just want to turn that off. 5%, remember, highly antagonistic. So what is evangelism? Very simply, evangelism is the presentation of the gospel. That's it. That's, that's evangelism. Presentation of the gospel. Telling someone about the sin problem and the remedy to the sin and what they must do in order to come to the Lord. It's not imposing your beliefs, because you really can't do that anyway. You can't make somebody believe something. You can make somebody say they believe something. You coerce them, threaten them enough. It's like with my children. You know, I, I, I could threaten them into doing anything I wanted them to do, but I can't change what they think, and I can't impose anything I believe on them. So it's not an imposition of your beliefs. Somebody says, well, you're just trying to impose your beliefs. Man, I can't do that anyway. That's my response. I'm going to make you believe something. It doesn't. That, that line of thinking doesn't even make sense. It's not about, this is key, this is, it's not about the results of evangelism. We often think that evangelism means that I have been a part of seeing somebody be converted. That's up to God. Only He can do that. We can't manufacture that. We, we can't have some event and say, well, at this event, we're going to have 100 conversions. How can we do that? Before Peter got up to speak, he didn't tell the disciples, look, you just watch. 2,500, 3,000, something like that. You just watch them. We'll get them right here. He just started preaching. He just started telling the gospel. God was in charge. The number could have been 40,000. It could have been five. It was up to God, the results. And so we confuse a lot of times the results of evangelism with, with the actual act of evangelism. It's not personal testimony. Though evangelism can be encapsulated, to understand the difference, in personal testimony. Because you can certainly tell somebody, man, God is so good, look what he's doing in my life, without telling them about their sin problem, without telling them about the saving work of Jesus and his death and resurrection and what they must do to be connected with him. You see the difference between personal testimony, here's what God is doing in my life, and evangelism, there's a difference. It's not social action and public involvement. We're going to be serving breakfast at East Elementary on the 25th. That in and of itself, though, is not evangelism. It may be a door that we enter and then we do evangelism as a result of that if a conversation opens up or if later on down the road you bump into somebody at the grocery store, you never know, but in and of itself. It's also not apologetics, which is defending the faith and giving arguments for it. So here's how we'll wrap up tonight. How are we to evangelize? We'll look at this through relationships. We've mentioned that already. That people come to know the Lord more often through a personal connection with somebody. They're investing and inviting. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Figuring out a way to, to serve people and invest in them and invite them. Finding an in. One of the things that I used to, to try to do when I was um, a youth pastor, and it sort of has carried over, is look for where are we sort of connected already in the community? Where can we sort of get in? Um, you know, whether it's a school or a business or a, a relationship or whatever it may be. Who's, who's open to us kind of coming in and serving them? Happened to be in my alma mater in Louisville. There, I knew the principal and the athletic director and all that, and they let us come in and do a, a big thing for the football team one night. We served them dinner. We didn't, you know, we didn't require them to be there or anything like that. We just, it's just the way it was. And so we looked for them. In everyday conversation, as Drew's already brought up, using your own personal style, as Ronnie mentioned earlier, by knowing the truth, by knowing the truth, the Bible, by knowing it. By imitating the presence of Jesus for those around you, through inviting people to church, we can see evangelism then take place. And then by telling God's story and by telling your story. But understand, again, that your story must be encapsulated in God's story of salvation. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. Tonight was simply an introduction. Maybe a lot of stuff, maybe information overload. I understand that. But hang on to these sheets, and we'll add to them as we go along and sort of break down each one of these areas. Most specifically, we'll get into the how of evangelism. What should we be doing? And again, it's not going to be based upon a particular program or some card you have in your hand that you memorize these steps, and this is what you do, and there you go. But it will be based upon who you are and your style and who you're around and so on. And so... 
As we close, I don't know if you've thought of something. You say, hey, I'm, man, I wanted to say that about this and turn back to this page or whatever. Anybody, anything in closing? I guess not everybody ready to go. we got our papers together. Let's go. That's right. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks of, of hearing some of what you have experienced and what you would say, hey, this is what I've seen really be effective. So so think about that. Come with those sorts of, of stories. And, and this week, uh, if, if you leave here saying, okay, what is a result of all of this tonight should we do? Be in prayer for those folks who you know are unchurched or unbelievers. Maybe they're both. Be in prayer for those folks. And, and, and be in prayer specifically that the Lord would give you an opportunity to speak with them. And then just let God lead you wherever he leads you. Maybe you have to be intentional about that or kind of get out of your normal routine. I know for me that's what I have to do. But pray for those people and that God would give you an opportunity. And then let's see what happens. All right? You ready to lead us? In? Oh, we got, we got a comment up here in the front. Yes, sir. Good. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I'd be glad for those of you that maybe didn't hear him. Point speaking, of what Drew said that we don't all have the same style or anything like that, but that's what makes up the body of Christ. We complete one another as we all join together for the same purpose. We may go about it differently. The Lord has, has sort of bent us in different ways and gifted us, but we all get toward that same purpose. And mentioned Miss Outland keeping the nursery and had a, had a gift with kids, though she may not be the one to get up front and talk with everybody. Could talk with those kids and lead them to the Lord. That's good. So let's uh, let's pray, and then Randy lead us in a closing song, a couple verses, and we'll we'll head out. All right, let's pray. God, we we thank you for giving us the opportunity to join you in what you're doing in the world. Lord, I pray that we would be wise to obey you in that. Lord, I pray for those of us, myself included, who need to be intentional about being around those who don't know you. Lord, help us to. to do what it takes to carve out the time, the space in our lives to do that. We pray, Lord, this week for those folks in our lives that are unchurched uh, and that may also be unbelievers. We pray that you would begin even now to draw them closer to you, that you would put them on our path this week, and we would go out of our way, if need be, to interact with them. So, Lord, I pray that this would be a unifying factor for our church, that we are on board with what you are doing in the world, and we join together and encourage one another sort of spur each other on to, to see what we can do on your behalf. So we love you, we, we thank you, and we give all the praise and glory to you in Jesus' name.